Uh, welcome to um, a new episode of Putrotes, this time in English uh, for a change, um, because my guest today is um, from Estonia and his name is Martin Sokel. Labrit. Um, <laughs> uh, he does business also in Latvia, so he uh, knows at least Saldejums, Labrit and uh, some things uh, more than that. Uh, those those know every every Estonian knows those, but uh, you know more. Uh, but yeah, Martin is a CEO of Cost Pocket, uh, which is well. I think you can actually explain it uh, better than I can. Um, and, but uh, yeah, today's um, goal is to sort of have have a have a free discussion about you know digitalization in general and um, what it means for 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 humans for businesses for uh, for society and i think that uh, you being uh, in the front lines of digitalization you might have uh, very interesting insights into that uh, into that topic so that's sort of my agenda for today so hi martin sveiki Mani sauc Martin, es esmu no Ikaunijas. <laughs> so yes, I, I do know a bit more more Latvian and, and, and here is like uh, actually none of the Estonians can actually say saldejums. All the Estonians comment say saldejums and, <laughs> and expect anybody to understand. But yeah, Latvian is much more complex than that. So yes, uh, I run a company called Cost Pocket. Uh, at the moment, we are serving more than 4,000 customers in Estonia, Latvia, Finland and, and Poland. And it is, it, is, uh, yes, that I, it is true that I have been somehow ended up in the forefront of, of digitalization. Uh, I remember when we started this startup as an idea and we were validating it. And then we just told people and they said that the reason why they hadn't tried what we do before is that they considered it impossible at the time when we started it. Now a few years have gone past, it turned out it was possible possible after all. And, and practically here I am trying to get all the businesses to use less paper and get things more digital. But when you, when you started, did you sort of uh, start it uh, by chance as majority of uh, startups do or you actually had the vision uh, or the the you know the smell of of paper disappearing or what was it that that is true <laughs> there's a funny fact that i like kind of definitely did not have a vision not at all uh, and it actually it started in a hackathon it started in a garage 48 hackathon and the only reason i participated in this hackathon is that i was working in the same co-working space as the hackathon took place and they also offered lunch uh, and, I, and, and i was thinking that like you know actually i worked there i could just take the lunch and nobody wouldn't mind but uh, why not i could i could pitch an idea i figured uh, when i'm as i'm here anyway and then i could get to talk with all these people and somehow this idea i had won the pitching competition uh, the idea was something a bit more complex. The idea was to create a really easy accounting system that, ah. that, that everybody, would, everybody would, would understand. And then, but everybody got really excited about, yes, these accounting softwares are very complex. It, it would be easy if somebody would, would make something, something like this. But then when I started to build it, I realized that this really is a much 
deeper topic to, to understood. So understand, so I did something which is called a zoom in pivot, which is I just took one piece of the whole thing and started to build that. And obviously the first thing I did was budgeting. So the first half a year I created a perfect budgeting app that would show you like all your incoming money streams, outgoings, like repeating like costs. And it would show you on a map when you will you run out of money or when, when how, mm-hmm. how long do you still have, have funds to go. We did it ready. People loved it. I said, it's really beautiful. I showed it to a potential customer. He said that, Martin, this is really nice. I really like it. Uh, I can see myself using it two times a year and I'm not seeing myself paying mm. for it. And I was just like, damn. <laughs> yeah. But then, then she asked, like, hey, but Martin, could you fix the receipt problem? Like it's a big problem. Uh, she used to work in a movie production industry. So like everywhere she goes, it's a it's a big problem to solve these receipts. So so this is how how I got into this fields of receipt digitization. It it was a complex complex area at the time when we started. There existed companies that would digitize invoices, but but nobody would look look at paper receipts because they were so different. Like for example, if you would like to take if you would like to make a text recognition for paper invoices, then you need to take these you know, 20 layouts of invoices that are being used in the country and you just teach to the machine that on top right there is the invoice number, on top left there is the name of the supplier and like the machine can learn it pretty, pretty quickly. But the moment you get into receipts, you have so many different templates and everything else. So we, we started kind of from the zero, we generated a system that would try to understand the context of what is even written on the document. It tries to understand, okay, this document is from what country? Okay, so in this country, do they put the month name first or the number of the date uh, first? And so it does all of these little, little things. And then then this this is kind of like, it's a bit with a round, round, but this is how we got into the receipt digitization. At one point, we realized that for us to go from receipts also to invoices is very simple because mm-hmm. like invoices are much more simpler. It's much easier to find the IBAN number than let's say for the document number because the IBAN number is always it's a mm. set number of characters. We got into this and, and that's also we, we realized that also working with e-invoicing, it's, it's very similar to the, all the things we, are, we, are, we have been doing. When we went from receipts to invoices, we didn't really even need to change a lot on the website. We just needed to in the places where it said receipt, we had to change receipt and invoices. Yeah, yeah. And, and when we added e-invoicing, then we just needed to add pricing for that service. <laughs> so yes, this, this is kind of how I got here. And what's sort of the, uh, I don't know, the next? Obviously, now you are expanding uh, geographically. So that's your main, um, I guess, uh, main issue of the day. Um, but what's next after um, uh, e-invoicing? Let's say, I mean, e-invoicing you have patted down already in Estonia. So again, it's only scaling to other countries and, and finding um, ways how to work together with like PayPal network and, and unified post and all of that. But that's almost like a technicality. But what's sort of the next thing that you are envisioning? Is there a next thing? For us, it's actually it's 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 scaling the business. For us, it's actually if if let's say if we would be an accounting software and if we would decide that now we're gonna go to Poland, it would mean that the programmers would be programming for a year 
to get all of the, you know, the salary calculation, all of the special things to Poland, right? For us, if we wanted to go to Poland, which we did already, we just translated the app and set this uh, default VAT from, mm-hmm. from 20 in Estonia to 23 in Poland and we're, we're good to go mm-hmm. practically. So it means that this little part of the business that we're doing, this is like technically, it's not that like, difficult to scale this product to a new country. And that's, that's what we do is we try to put the same product to new countries instead of making the product bigger. Mm. So you, you don't have this uh, vision of what's what's still missing in digitalization space uh, where, where you can fit in. I think it's actually like what I see is that uh, like we, we are in this space and we are in this like well if, if we think about future like let's say that the future is like in the future everything will we do will be anyway it will be digital like the receipts that come out of the casa they will be digital, digitized natively. The invoices, they will be, you know, e-invoices, invoices natively. And this is like the future world where everything happens in real time. And, and the only thing we see is that with us already today, you can be in this future already because we just, the last part of it that is not digitized, which is these invoices and receipts, we kind of, we digitize them and put them into the right place. So. So theoretically, you already have this, tech, this dig, full digital workflow. Just one part of it is we are still simulating it uh, with, with the digitization part. So, so I don't think we need to even like figure out better products for that to get into better future. I think it's it's more about how like when like it's you know giving the product to people mm. in, in lot. Yeah. But but aren't you afraid a bit that? Uh with the speed where uh, that that is happening is that i mean how many from risk assessment point of view how many years do you still have until there will be no receipts and no paper invoices yeah that is a good question always it's, it seems that the future is in delay somehow i remember when when i started it around in cut into the area in 2016 then it was uh, very clear to people that in five years all the paper is gone mm-hmm. Now five years are past and the paper is still there. And if you if you go to, you know, for me it's like it's for me it's, it's difficult to actually compare like how accounting is done. It's easier to compare how businesses are registered. We just registered a business in Poland. We went to a notary. We filled the papers. All the papers were in Polish, and then we waited for a few weeks to get the results. Uh, it's much more easier to do with epiracts, I mm-hmm. would say, that you kind of, you lose a lot of, lot, 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 lot of this. And it's the moment you get into, for us, it's like the moment when I actually had to go to the notary. I was just like, yeah, wow. I remember maybe if you registered a company in Estonia 20 years ago. Then yeah, exactly. <laughs> 20 <laughs> years ago, it was, it was that. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. So, so somehow, like the thing is that it's... Um, it's like pe- people are conservative and, and, and it takes time, even though the, the change is good. Then, then in this sense that we, for us, it's like just to go to what, what smart people have said, what, what Peter Thiel said is that capture the value. It's like in our business journey, we are in the stage of capturing the value. We're not that mm. much into making the innovation. We're actually, it's much important to explain to the people that the innovation is now here and they can actually start using it. Mm. And that for for uh, th- th- there's there's plenty of countries where that is still gonna be the uh, sort of 
very important innovation because it's it's interesting i was i was with estonian uh, so i was in 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 dubai um, on on expo together with uh, estonian and swedish it cluster delegation and so you know in in every of these every day there was almost like some official meeting with either uh, emirates or um, uh, with some local businesses whatever it was and there was always like a presentation from Estonia, Latvia, and and Sweden. And it was so uh, weird that you know Estonians always talk about uh, e invoicing, uh, not e invoicing, but uh, e government yeah. uh, governance. And then we are listening to that, and we said, what? <laughs> Where do they talk about it? You know, it's nothing special. Yeah. <laughs> and but the, it, it takes sort of the um, yeah, you have to sort of step out of that, let's say, Latvian reality and understand that in other countries it's it's not even close to that. Yes, in Emirates because they started, they had a sort of later start, and so that's why they they could also do everything digitally from the very first moment so for them it's also the reality that you can apply for a business you know online and everything happens on online and you can sort of open business together with an office space and warehouse and uh, whatever everything with just almost like one button but then in so many other countries it's not that and and it's probably the same with uh, yeah uh, all the next things like invoices and 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 receipts uh, as part of that, yeah. For me, it's actually I have been really. I, I used to live in Riga in in this the first hot summer we had in 2018, when I was I was in this uh, startup Wise Guys Accelerator in, in Riga, and I was also I was just really just trying to make a like just trying to learn how these products work in Latvia and is it, is it similar to the way on how it is in Estonian. The reason why I got into this is that, you know, when an Estonian talks with a Latvian, then, you know, for a Latvian, you know, a single Estonian is not, well, let's put it this way, Latvians somehow think that Estonian e-governance is very good. Somehow this is one thing that if you ask a Latvian, they say that they, they do this better. And, and but, but but this is uh, but this is when you know, Latvian sees an Estonian. It, it's one Estonian is not very you know very special in this sense. It's just this you know uh, no like a like a slow slow neighbor. <laughs> uh, but then I was kind of like wondering why do you think that our e-governance is so much better? So I looked into how your Eparacts is working, and I found out that they are the same. Like the Estonian yeah. Eparacts and, and Latvian Eparacts is practically the possibilities you have are the same. Mm -hmm. So there is actually no difference yeah, among these countries. Yeah. Although, I yeah. think that the, the main difference is marketing. So as yes. I was told by someone, is that uh, the ambassadors of Estonia, before they actually are getting accredited, they have to go to E-Estonia, whatever is the organization behind, but basically to E-Estonia, they have to take training and uh, then they have to make a test almost, uh, do a test. And only then they are sort of allowed to be ambassadors of, of Estonia. So as, um, as one person put it is that 
Estonia in terms of export is a one issue country. <laughs> and that was meant like a derogatory almost like derogatory term yeah, yeah, yeah. when I think that it's actually not. Because it's 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 just knowing, you know, exactly where your sort of value is. When Latvians are you know, all 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 across the board, like we can do this a little bit and a little bit of that and a little bit of this, and then nobody knows what actually Latvia can do. And uh, so I think that's the main difference: is that somebody in Estonia made the wise choice of of actually making it a one-issue country. I think it started like in also like in the beginning. It's there's there's a longer longer story how how it even got to this situation that these guys were living in Estonia. I think it's historically it comes from the fact that uh, there was this um, there was a scientist studying torpedoes in the fifties in Tallinn. Uh, and so he needed a very expensive computer, which in the 50s you wouldn't have computers. So he got this computer to Tallinn. And this is actually how some like people, like some engineers went to work with it. And then they, they made their own clone of these computers. And so this is actually how you got the fathers of the guys who made Skype. Mm-hmm. This is how you got the room, room into that. So this is how that got over there. But also, like in Estonia, is so small that I remember when, the, like in the beginning, the tech entrepreneurs they would just do do it really simply if you need needed something for the government. So, so it's, it's it's this is how it got here. I remember actually, like ten years ago, when I would go to say London or Berlin, and I would say like, yes, I'm from Estonia, the greatest tea nation in the world, and nobody would actually care. Or like this was the hype was so much into ourselves that yeah. it wasn't so much there in the world. But actually, like now, now if I went to Poland, and actually people in Poland are they they have heard about the Estonian model, and which which is kind of like an like an interesting thing. Even in Germany, there are like these uh, parties that are uh, like the, one of their promises is that they're, they're going to make things as simple as it is in Estonia. <laughs> so so <laughs> it's exactly, it's just good marketing. <laughs> it's just good marketing. Yeah, because because now in Latvia we are almost forced to say that. Things, uh, things with us are almost as good as in Estonia, you know. It's <laughs> you, you might say that even like when I was researching it, there was this, you, you actually had it even better. Like there were some of the things that were at the time, they were better, I think. Just from concrete examples, I remember it was um, in Latvia, it was possible to change the shareholders without going to the notary. And mm-hmm. in Estonia at this moment, it was not so you needed to apostille these things. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and all of all of these things but uh, so uh, why why do you think that it's like you know since since the um, you know 1991 when uh, when we all here uh, sort of started everything from scratch it was all about you know the Baltic way and the Baltic countries and whatever and somehow it feels that that probably ended in two years or so. And since then, uh, we have not been Baltic countries uh, anymore. And I felt it so um, so painfully in, in this uh, du- du- Dubai event because, you know, at, at some points it was like that the... Even the ambassadors almost were just trying to... Uh, you know, 
say that oh we are better than Estonians or we are better than Swedes and then Swedes would come out and say we are better than all of them and then, and then the Estonians would come out and start to almost shout and you know it, it was it was embarrassing what, what it was and um, I, I would think would... how, how can it be that like that we are such small countries and such small nations and like the, the, the only way for us to, to thrive is to cooperate and then we can't it is it is interesting it's um, like don't want to touch this topic at all but recently I have seen that the best cooperation seems to be between the between the people who don't want to get vaccinated in Estonia Latvia, and Lithuania <laughs> I can see that these guys are really they have a common cause yeah yeah, yeah they even <laughs> organized the new Baltic way but that is a true that if you want to build a community, then the easiest way to do it is to have a common enemy. And if you don't have a common enemy, then like making a community based on things that we all find relevant is much harder in this, in this sense. But I, would, I am totally for it that Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania should kind of try to find this, this collaboration once again, because it kind of, it is true that it seems to be faded a bit. Well, from my experience, what I see is I see that actually Estonia and Latvia are like very similar to each other. In, even if you study history, like the histories are practically identical for a long, long time. It's like very, the same mm. stuff happened on the same year. If you go to Lithuania, they have this, you know, they have this Polish connection yes. over there. And it's more, kind of yeah. like, it's, mm. it's, it's a bit, it's a bit more, more different, but yeah. I think Estonians and Latvians should try to find each other again. And I think they are already, especially if you go to Sigulda, then you might find the Estonian president over there in the summer or something like that. So mm. there, there is communication happening. Yeah, because, uh, yeah, it's... Uh, yeah, I, I, like, I mean, I'm, I'm uh, partners with Estonians for now two years and uh, in, in uh, excellent Latvia. And so I know it's possible and that it can work and that we can benefit here and vice versa. Like uh, just a couple of days ago, Estonians then said that, oh, it's so good that you Latvians came and kicked our butts because we were so sort of happy with where we are in Estonia that we weren't maybe uh, too active. And now we finally have to because this sort of this interaction always uh, brings both both sides, uh, you know, forward. And so this is why it's so, so important. Otherwise, you are just, uh, as you said, you know, inside your own bubble, inside your own hype that, oh, we are so great, we are so great. And then somebody else will, you know, pass you by in being even greater. And so that's why you need this external stimulus and so on. Um, but uh, so we need a common enemy then. Lithuania, maybe? <laughs> <laughs> no, Lithuanians are great as well. For us, it's, well, for us, it's like kind of, it's a little, our company is also growing with the people we hire. Like now, we also, we took uh, Swedish and Lithuanian markets as the, as the next markets. And, and for that, we actually hire the Swede and we hire the Lithuanian. So it actually, it kind of, it, it generates this situation in our company. When we meet, there is actually like a, there's a Latvian person, we have two Latvian persons, then there's a Lithuanian person, Swedish person, Finnish people, we all come up together, it's already we're like a international society already, mm -hmm. we kind of have to start working with like, 
international rules. For example, one, one interesting thing that for us is that um, I knew it obviously, but when we practically, practically got into this situation, we were like, wow, this happened. Like international rule of business is no sarcasm. You cannot use sarcasm because this form of humor is not used in, like in a lot of places in the mm-hmm. world. For example, we had our Polish person was, we had a call with our chief operating officer and the chief operating officer said to something that, oh, I don't like it. I'm going to quit working here. I'm going to go away. <laughs> Which was obviously a joke. <laughs> and then, but our Polish person was really panicking for a week. was thinking, okay, now this, this, this person is going, my manager is going away. What do I do now? <laughs> so, so. Yeah. Or it's, uh, it's especially when you are having like, Uh, uh, events together that I had, you know, at, at, at Hanzawad where people from all the sides of the world come and then you have to adjust to their humor, for example, because, you know, for example, Finnish and Swedish humor is so much different from, and, and it's very different between themselves as well, and then it's even more different between Latvian and Estonian humor and all of that. And so that adjustment is, uh, yeah... One interesting thing I have thought about <clears throat> Finnish people and for me it's every time I go to a new country and then like obviously in the daytime I am in business meetings but I also try to talk with people in the evening. I try to see how they are when they're not in you know pitching something or selling something or buying something. And with the Finnish people I found this that we were I think it was last November we were in front of this place. There's four four of us And we were just, they were slowly talking about something. And then the first one says that, I think I got to go home. Everybody else says, mm-hmm. and I am, then I'm really cold. I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. I'm just, I'm just, nothing happens. I'm waiting for 10 more minutes. Second person says, I think I am gonna go home. Everybody nods. I'm like, yeah, let's go already, go already. <laughs> and so this goes on and until like there was the third person and then the fourth person after, you know, 40 minutes. Okay, <laughs> I am also going to home. And at one, this point, everybody was just, okay, let's go. And they started to move. And, and this is like kind of, but they also, like we have this about Scandinavia also in Sweden, that they like to talk about things for a long time. Mm-hmm. That's like for us. It's like we don't have this habit, and that was really, really strange for us. But then, what's really important about the Nordic people is that once they have talked about it, mm-hmm. then it's just doing it. There is no more talk. It, it has decided. And I would think that this is actually like this communication is a normal way of how how people should be communicating and doing this thing. And as the Swedish have it, the Norwegians have it, like the. French have it, the Italians, everybody has it, but in our area, it's kind of lost. This my theory is that it got lost with the Soviet time. Yeah, maybe they didn't like us to, you know, talk about things slowly. Yeah, it's interesting. It actually goes together with this, um, uh, let's say, model that that I'm uh, that I'm using in uh, managing my companies. It's called the Adesis methodology, and it also kind of has this sort of uh, model that uh, de- called democracy where you decide everything in painfully maybe long discussions very democratic where everyone agrees and there are no questions and no doubts anymore and then once it's decided then it's decided and you don't change anything you just execute and um, um, yeah I think uh, I think and, and in 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 
um, in, in our countries, we are much more sort of agile. We want to do something and then see what happens and then do something else maybe. Or, and, and probably it has some advantages. I mean, maybe that's why Estonia has seven unicorns uh, that you can boast about. <laughs> I think like the reason why we have it there is this we had this um, there was this, the first president of Estonia was Lennart Meri and he said that uh, Estonia needs his own Nokia mm. and it's like that Nokia was at the time it was in Finland it was this the big thing before iPhones obviously and then and then actually we got our own Nokia with with the Skype and so so this really kind of helped and it kind of it brought all of the all these people who actually know how to do how to build international businesses they they had this they got this they got this from their positions and that's that's really what they wanted to do so and I think Latvia is on the verge of the same thing it's I can see the same thing happening here that there are like these more and more companies coming. Like Printify is an obvious example of like uh, after that there was be there will be people who worked in this company who actually mm-hmm. saw saw how it got scaled and 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 how, and how it all worked so so I guess the community is the most most important around it. Mm-hmm. It's also yeah, and in a in a small country, it's sort of uh, I guess on one hand it's it's a benefit to have a smaller society because then that like one two or five people can actually have more sort of impact on the other hand the the resource pool of uh, talent uh, who can become these five or ten people is much much smaller and so the opportunity to to find those people is is much smaller because you know printful um and and those guys they have grown to that point, uh, for how many years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, when they, they started Drauge MLV, like what, 20 years ago? Maybe more, more, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I think more, yeah. So it, it takes a lot of time for, for them to grow. Uh, but uh, yeah, we, we come back to this. <laughs> it's, it's interesting that uh, whenever I talk with, um, uh, maybe I'm, I'm, I'm just talking with that sort of startup people, but uh, majority of them, actually have had this chance just lucky chance uh, to, to start something and this I was I was thinking about this when I uh, when I for example again went to Dubai and I, I went totally unprepared for wrong reasons like I was tired and I just didn't want to think about it and so on and then I went there and I thought I mean, the main thing is to be there because, you know, the opportunities are there and you just have to be there. You have to be present and things will happen. And you just have to be sort of open to the uh, open to, to the opportunity when it comes. And they did happen. Like I was just sitting there and opportunities were coming to me. And um, yeah, I, I, I like, what do you think about it? Like should should because i mean i think the american way of doing startups is much more like come up with an idea and then you know execute it go for it you know when uh, when i think that uh, in, in in latvia and and estonia we are much more sort of uh, i don't know relaxed about it uh, yeah, well, somehow there is this. People have this idea of the standard, of this, of this, of the start startup world, and it's. I think it's kind of generated by the startup world. The the the, the idea is that like 
the vision is that you first you have an idea, then you go to a pitching competition and you pitch this to a lot of people and then this rich person will come who will invest into you and then everything is good. Um, and it's uh, it's very kind of it, it doesn't happen like this at all. It's very difficult. It's still very difficult to to become an entrepreneur if you don't have any any previous experiences or, or capital. And it, it's practically it, it looks much more like this that you go to this pitching event and you present your idea and you meet with somebody. He asks something questions about you and you explain these things to to him and. Maybe in three years he will give you some money. <laughs> mm-hmm. So 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 that is a that is a that is a very very important point about it. And 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 I guess like it's the same in like if you compare it with Silicon Valley in Europe, it's much easier to be in in Europe. It's, I have an interesting story with this company. Really, actually, when I started it, and I I had this like first first idea I had is that I have been an entrepreneur for a few years now. And I haven't been in Silicon Valley, so I want to go to Silicon Valley. So I just bought myself the tickets. It's quite easy to go there with Norwegian. I think this year after the 8th of November. <laughs> but it's, so I just went there and I had this idea that I have right now for Ghost Pocket. And I started to pitch it in Silicon Valley. And this idea over there was, let's put it this way, it was as fresh as if somebody would come this year and say that he has an idea for an app with which you can order a taxi. Yes. <laughs> it wasn't a very new idea at all. Yeah. It was in fact it turned out that one of the very first very first apps that was there for iPhone was Expensify which is practically doing it and the, and the reason why is that in US it was never not allowed to store the cost documents digitally. Mm-hmm. You could just do it from the beginning. It's, it's it's more of a problem of Europe that it just wasn't legal before yeah. to, to store the cost documents in a, in a digital way. So in this sense that I went there and, and I realized that oh I'm like seven years late with this idea in this market and I actually looked into the world map of where are the countries that have the highest e-invoice penetration and this turned out to be uh, Finland, Sweden, Norway and Estonia. <laughs> At the time so I was like, okay, I, it appears I have to go back to Estonia with this idea. Mm. Um, and it's, it, it's definitely much more easier with it in Estonia because let's say if you're raising funding in Silicon Valley, then if you're raising let's say under 500 or 600,000, no one even believed that you can do something with this money because like a programmer is, it's 200,000 a year or for a year and a half. The sales guy is about mm. the same and there's your 500,000 already. Mm. So we came to Estonia, we raised 60,000, which was, it's actually, it was also a lot of, lot of money for, for the time, but it was much more possible and it was much more possible to do something with the money uh, back at the days. Now we are also... Estonia is getting to that point now where it gets very difficult to hire a technical person mm. because they are in such high demand. And if you feel that in Latvia you are in this situation as well, then all I can say is that it's only getting worse. Yeah, <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, uh, guys who have uh, gone through three months of training, very sort of generic training, they call themselves software engineers and they are hired within days. It's just amazing. I have, we, have a, we are having a, our front-end developer is from, from Latvia and this is a very interesting, like how, how we even met this, that I remember I, 
I met with Paipa, it was in a critical mass in, uh, in uh, critical mass ride in Riga. It was, I think it was 2018 or something like that when you were, with, there was 10,000 people riding with bicycles mm-hmm. in yeah, Riga yeah. practically. And, and I, I remember because she was a friend of a friend of mine and then the next time I saw her was like a year or two later and I asked her like, and she was a baker. She was, a, she was working as a vegan baker actually. Yeah, Vietnam. okay. And when I saw her a couple of years later, I was like, hey, how's baking going? She said that, oh, no, I'm not doing anymore. I'm a front-end developer. I work for Accenture. <laughs> and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. and, and, and she had also done the same. She had gone to a boot camp. She had, had studied it. And then she's got, gotten like a, like a position. And she had like, like easily tran- tran- transitioned, transitioned herself uh, into that. And that is... a very common thing for people to do. For me, it only makes me feel like now I want to go study baking. Yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> <laughs> or woodworks or, yeah. or, or, or <laughs> exactly. any of these things. Woodworks would be, would be my choice, yeah. Uh, or growing mushrooms. Um, uh, or bees. Yeah, those are my hobbies <laughs> that, that I could potentially investigate. But, um, but coming back to that startup thing, like I've been... Um, on one hand, obviously, it feels like uh, you know living this uh, uh, startup uh, lifestyle uh, sort of is. I mean, there's something tempting about it because of the possibility to. Uh, I mean, I guess it's about the struggle that you have to um, f- fight. Uh, with other ideas, with your idea, and so this is this war of ideas, which is very sort of uh, mentally challenging always, and it's it's nice to feel that your idea is the best idea, or uh, um, and that uh, and 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 there's this direct validation of your idea of receiving a check for some from someone and so on. So there are these incentives that are very um, almost like primal, I would say. Uh, so it's very enticing, but I'm really afraid of it. Like we we tried uh, at Burti, we 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 tried uh, to to make a product, um, and uh, we failed. I I sort of know why, um, but but I really sort of tried this approach of actually going and pitching and and trying to do marketing and all of that, and. Now I have failed once, and I know that you know it, I, w- I would have to probably try three or f- four times more uh, to maybe succeed. But it's scary, and plus, uh, what what scares me the most is the 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 end game. I mean, the process of pitching and getting the money. I mean, that's that that's the nice part. But in the end, you have all these investors that want their money back and that's when I think the dirty part starts uh, so I mean in your case you you have been only in in, in startup wise guys or uh, or we have also more process like this this always reminds me there is this uh, really cool Estonian investor called Ivar Simar and he was also in this Estonian business angels network and he said that we are not in investment business we are in exit business 
and so so that is that is a really really important thing to to feel about it it's uh, for us it's we also raised funding from Thunderbeam um, which is kind of like it acts as a stock market for startups it, it's actually run by the former head of Nasdaq Tallinn and we in this we are acting as a as a public company so we are reporting to the market it's possible to buy our shares from mm. the market and, and everything like this and when we when we even we raised about 180,000 euros from there and even when getting to this we me and my business partners we we acknowledge that this is actually what what we want to do and one of the reasons why we want to do is to get this practice of being a public company because it's it would be very boring to study it in a school and it would be terrifying to suddenly get into this position where you are in a public company and you don't know like all of the things that are, are associated with it. So, so for us, this is, this is obviously it's exciting. It's very scary the way you say, like people have been investing their pension money maybe into this or like it's, we are, we are feeling that, that, that this is, this is, this is kind of over there and it is, it is scary and it is, uh, it is impossible. Like I would say, like if somebody asks how to do a startup, I would say that first it is impossible. Like you would have to assume it. <laughs> and, and, and like sometimes you get lucky and sometimes you don't. And sometimes you find the right things. And then at the same time, looking at these young guys, um, for example, Bolt from Estonia, if you, if you look at the CEO, Markus Willig, he's a very young guy. He practically got straight from high school into this, into this company. And when, when you listen what he says, he says that actually you can study everything now. If you don't know how to recruit people, you know, read about it. Mm-hmm. This information is all over there and you can actually study everything. And if you're scared of this studying, then, <laughs> then you might have a, have, have little complications with it. But, but it's generally, it's, it is possible to learn everything and it's possible to do everything. Like the question is that do you have enough funding to, and to, to you know, last that long where you can actually learn it? Because like, first of all, if, if you have already learned it and if you understand it, then the next step is that will your business partners learn it and understand it? Will mm. people who work in your company learn it and understand it? That's a, it's all a long-term process. But how does it work technically? Like you have a, let's say... Um, I mean, it doesn't really matter, I guess, what is the sort of legal form of it, but uh, you have, let's say, 100% uh, of shares in your company and then you, you know, chip away like 5% to wise guys and then you chip away 5% to somebody else and then 10% to some, and then what, what are you left with in the end? So like one of the interesting things I just found out of, like we were, I've been working exactly how shares work and everything like um, like one of the misconceptions people have about it is the percentage of shares given away. Let's make a really simple sample. Let's say we have registered a company, Martins and De- Martins and Elvis, and this has thousand shares in the in the mm-hmm. shares registry. And now we find this investor, like this very fresh idea, practically, we only have an idea, we haven't mm-hmm. done anything. And we find this guy who says that, guys, I'm going to give you 100,000, like, I'm going to give you 10,000 euros for mm-hmm. this, for, for a share of 10% in the company, which sets the valuation to 100,000, which mm-hmm. is pretty good for, for some, mm-hmm. just, just an idea. Now, the way what would work next is that if you just think how it would work, you would, okay, so 10% is 100 shares. 
so I would need to make 1,100 shares, which is wrong. It would have to be 10 shares, it would have to be 10% after the new person has come in. So in fact, actually, we would need to make 111 new shares. Uh, not, not one, so it's, it's have to be after this. So <laughs> this is this is a bit bit more maybe yeah, <laughs> goes too deep. Uh, no, no, no. Yeah. I, 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 because I want to understand. So essentially, the initial partners sort of keep the same amount of shares. Yes, we we would let's say we we did it fifty fifty. So I now have five hundred. You have five hundred, and the new guy has one hundred and eleven. So he has ten percent of all so of the shares. So you sort of dilute actually all the time. Yes, yes. So the new guy is he has 110, 111 shares, and the whole company has one thousand one hundred eleven. And so this his share is exactly ten percent of the company. Mm -hmm. So he has to be ten after coming in, not before coming. And we still have yes. five hundred shares both. But still, I mean, but it still it doesn't change the fact that uh, the next guy com who comes in. Uh, takes another ten percent for uh, let's say twenty thousand, so <laughs> he will get uh, one hundred and twenty something shares. So uh, I right? think I think it's I remember it was giving this like so first. But percentage wise, our percentage goes down anyway. Yeah, we're being diluted. So I remember it was being diluted was was pretty hard in the beginning. So so first important thing to know about an investor is that. An investor never takes 50% of the company or 50.1% of the company because he doesn't want control. He wants to be part of this company. So a maximum an investor should take is like 20% in one round. Mm -hmm. But for us, it's even 10 is normal or like something like that. So it would, if it's a normal investor, it would have to be rather like this. The percentage is smaller. And it, I remember it was quite painful to give away this equity when the valuation of the company was 400,000 euros or 600,000 euros then it was pretty pretty difficult to give it but I remember once it got like 2 million then we had like these people who came in it was 185,000 euros and we gave 8% of the company away mm -hmm. and that was pretty easy there wasn't any we, we didn't have any it was like this it gets very very easy so it's it's not that bad if you know people come in and give money and yes it is true that the founders they keep on being diluted but what it means is as well that although their share is smaller they are now part of something much bigger yeah after this funding okay round. so the value increases although the percentage decreases yes okay and so the whole uh, <clears throat> the whole uh, sort of allure of exit is the fact that you can actually monetize your part of shares practically yes so it's it's our part or it could be the investor part yeah. like the biggest bigger, biggest thing for us is that we need the investors to get 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 their money back uh, multiple times so that's the that's the allure for us hmm. and the only way to do that is well they they can sell their shares privately probably as well it, right it depends on the articles of association and and, and how it, how it works in our case in funder beam people can just buy and sell 24 7 so it, it really hmm. really depends depends on how it works but for us the only way like and in any any way the only way is to make a business is to just earn more money the next month
Mm. The more money we earn month over month, the higher the valuation of the company is. We were really hoping that all of this magical intellectual property that we have, like our text recognition is really magical. It works in 25 countries and in some countries it's up to 90% precise. It's not really important for the people buying the companies. They only measure the size mm. of the revenue. It's, it's in this sense. And that's the way to kind of do it. And that's the way we have been increasing the, increasing the valuation this way. But uh, like... And this this whole sort of setup creates this um, this situation that understandably these investors are in the business of exit and they want their money back and all of that. And so I understand that their only goal there is to increase the revenue for whatever costs. And that's like, uh, you know, capitalism at its best and and at its worst at the same time and so what worries me is that uh, like I can because I don't have any investors uh, I can afford to make choices that for example you can't Um, as in I don't know maybe not doing something just because it brings in money uh, or uh, or uh, doing something just because you want to do it, or or it's the right thing to do uh, ethically, but yeah, yeah. but this, it, this it but it doesn't good. bring in money, and this that's what what scares me about this uh, startup um, model. Yeah, you know, this is this is a really good like this ethical question is a big one, and I have been thinking a lot about it, and the reason for it is uh, strange. Uh, like the reason for it is that like. Like one of my theories I have is that like one of the reasons why this world is in a very strange position as it is right now, you know, we, we had Brexit, we had this in US, we had this former president in Estonia, we have some really strange guys who are getting into the government. And my theory is that it's like a lot because of Facebook. Uh, and, and the reason why is that, let's say if you take Trump, for example, then if pre-Facebook, uh, the the, the media would never have given enough platform for uh, for Donald Trump. New York Times would not have written enough times about him that he would become a president. But now when he's in Facebook, you can actually you can buy the airtime. You can actually. Okay, get it's not it. anymore. But it's yeah. not anymore. Like that's that's why it's easy 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 sample to to work with it. That it's it's actually it's possible to buy this airtime and to get into this and. And that is that is a lot. It's a lot of. We would like to think that it's our fault. Uh, but it's not this Facebook problem actually. They they created it and they should kind of kind of fix it. But so in this why I'm talking about it, I would say that this is like Facebook has done a lot of good for the society, but it also there's a lot of bad. And now in this situation, if I am let's say spending three thousand euros every month for Facebook advertisement, should I be you know even talking about it? Or like I have been thinking a lot about it that I sometimes I see that this Facebook as a problematic platform, but I am actually the guy who is sending them money every month. Mm. And that is this very it touches very specifically this ethical point that, that you, you are talking about. Mm-hmm. Like it's one of them, yeah. One of them, yeah. Because it's just um, I mean, I think a very good example is uh, all these uh, delivery platforms <laughs> that uh, None of them, because the only sort of, um, 
I think the only way for uh, for a startup to have a really really good exit is to be the biggest, and and so market share is sort of the holy grail, and whatever you can do to get market share is fine, and this is where Google and Facebook uh, come in in the picture because they are the 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 the, the the channels how you can get the market share and so this is why they are the moguls of the world because all of this startup money is essentially going in being thrown at them just to get the market share even though it's totally unprofitable it's loss making and there's only this hope that you know DoorDash will exit better than um, I, I don't know Uber or whatever, yeah, and 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 it creates this I think I don't know wrong sort of economy drivers. Well, as, a, as an end user, you are practically winning, winning about it. Like let's say if we take Uber for example, then there was a, for years and years, if you would drive for four euros with an Uber, then there was a VC who paid the additional 50 euro to actually get there because they were just fighting about it. And then if you do what Uber did, eventually a bolt is going to appear. And they're just doing the same thing that Uber is doing, but five times cheaper. <laughs> because, you know, we come from an areas where we know how to make it five times cheaper. So, so, so this, this definitely happens. I have an, another interesting case, maybe, maybe it's just a, just a thing I have been thinking about if we talk about Google or, or Gmail. Like for example, and, and this topic is, is it's also it goes into our topics and this is about e-invoicing. And in a lot of the cases, as in Estonia, when the e-invoicing came, came to be, then a lot of people were saying that, hey, this is this e-invoice, sending e-invoices, it's very similar to sending email. Mm-hmm. which is free. So why are you, why on earth are you asking us money for sending these e-invoices? And then like here, my logic here is this, uh, e-invoices is not for free. No, no I'm sorry, yeah. e- email yeah. is not for free. It's uh, the, the reason is that if you are using email for free, then you are the product. Like mm-hmm. let's say if you take the sample of Gmail, if you are not paying for it, then it means that Google is actually going through all of your emails and, and showing you relevant relevant advertisements for that. And for us, we we as we are using Gmail as a company, so we are paying five euros per user in this. So it's it's definitely not a not a free service. Mm-hmm. So so that is a really important aspect of it. And then, like if we if we look at you know actually how how big corp companies are working or how how Google is working, so I can. Like just just to show you it with a comparison of an American model, Americanski model, <laughs> is is that uh, like the like the in a Google model, this actually this uh, receiving invoices as a private person would be free. You would get a your mm-hmm. own inbox where yeah. you receive your invoices for free, and the only thing is that Google will see what you bought. Yeah. That's 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 the only downside of it. But you know, as a private person, you might not even care. But for Google, this is this could be a very relevant information in this sense that, for example, I know companies who offer a service that, that, that they'll just tell you how much something costs in a market. Mm-hmm. Let's say you want to open your own delivery platform in Riga and you really not need to know how much people are paying for a bolt. 
Yeah. So this one company who analyzes these invoices would actually know how much how much are yeah. people averagely pay, paying for these services. So it it actually opens this being a you know free service opens up this is all of these things. But it's, it's important. It's never free. Yeah. Actually, somebody is. And you should always when you are uh, when you are sort of subscribing to something, a new app, a new product, or whatever, you always have to think, where does the money come from? Because, you know, somebody has to make the product and uh, maintain it and so on. And if you are not paying it, or if you are paying a ridiculously small price, then uh, where is the money? Always follow the money, like in the, in the you know, TV show, uh, The Wire, yeah? <laughs> uh, always follow the money. I remember that uh, <laughs> there was a very famous uh, discussion uh, with the topic is uh, Catholic Church uh, a force for the good where you know big guys like Richard Dawkins and and um, and there was like uh, someone from Catholic Church Church on the other side uh, were discussing all the ups and downs of of uh, Catholic Church because they ha- do have both, and it's uh, I would I would love to to sort of I haven't sort of probably there is a discussion like that somewhere on YouTube, but I haven't stumbled upon it. But it would be sort of very interesting uh, to see these both sides. That yes, on one hand, without this start- startup economy, we wouldn't have yes, Bolt and and Yandex and Uber and all of that. On the other hand we wouldn't have also drivers who are receiving very little money for that. I mean, they are driving, they are doing that, so probably it's worth doing that, but it's barely so. I remember when the sharing economy came to be, and we were all big proponents of it, that the sharing economy is going to come and we're going to do it. And yeah, we also didn't know how it would look like, and the reality is actually here, we would kind of see that the first thing that sharing economy is doing is that the prices are going down. And so it's kind of what happens is that... Uh, yes, but it's the same like with the free products. On which account it's going down? Like who pays for that? And it's the, primarily the, the providers of the, of the actual work of the service uh, who are suffering. Like with um, Bolt, Volt and, and the restaurants, right? It's not... Uh, it, it's, it's them sort of just like the whole growth of, of Bolt and Volt, uh, especially in Latvia, is just because all the restaurants lost their their profit. And yes, they are forced to do that, to stay alive, but then that can happen only f- for a while to keep the quality. So in the end, when you are saying that uh, it's me as a consumer who wins, I disagree because if this would continue, uh, we would be left with only ghost kitchens cooking generic food. There would be a big ghost kitchen who cooks Indian, Chinese, American, <laughs> German, and whatever cuisine in the same kitchen and with the same cooks. Yes, and 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 there would be almost no difference between them. And you just, like, everything just is diluted, <laughs> right? And, and everything becomes bland and uh, not interesting because 
this 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 whole globalization it eats away on the on the on the beautiful little details of life so the first thing is that yeah we couldn't also we couldn't be in a vacuum so if we wouldn't have local companies doing it pretty soon we would have american companies sure that's why i'm talking about it as a global phenomenon not just latvian but and the other thing is that it comes like i i do agree with (laughs) practically everything you're saying and the only thing that is kind of keeping the hope up for me in this situation is actually competition. The more of these companies there are who are fighting to be the best coast kitchen or, or, or the better actually the service will give. If you, keep in the, if you get into this situation where you only have Amazon doing this search, then you're pretty much in a, not a very good place anymore. So, so that's, that's my hope is this, is this just this competition. <laughs> That's yeah, the, the problem is that uh, humans are very short-sighted. So, including myself, like I'm not different. And if I will go on uh, Vault and choose something, I will most likely, after, especially sometime when I get into to, to the habit, habit, I will choose... Uh, the product that has the most beautiful pictures and the lowest price. That's yeah. it. Yeah. And that is very, very different uh, compared to going on, uh, going on the street and actually seeing the place and seeing the people behind it and, and having that communication and just feeling. And, 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 and humans are not capable of uh, sort of looking at the beautiful picture, being hungry, low price okay i'll buy it like nobody will think that mm, maybe i should find something more authentic than that and and you know keep scrolling they will buy the cheapest and most beautiful thing at that moment they will not think that um after three years that will mean that that authentic vietnamese place the only one that's finally opened in riga will shut down because this is some generic ghost kitchen that does similar stuff you know so in theory competition means that there will be a better vietnamese kitchen appearing but in reality the one who has the most beautiful picture and the lowest price will win but the good thing is that at the same time we actually we do have this thing happening in the society where people are actually starting to put the good values first like let's say being green or, or like let's say not destroying the world, world immediately with plastic and you can actually like see it like one of the things is that people actually seriously taking action against plastic just just by themselves not throwing it away I can I can see this happening as a as a sign of good uh, and also I can see like uh, like it's called carrot mafia is that you actually you go to the store that is good to you or you go to the store that actually has the right values so I can see definitely in Estonia these these changes are happening people are totally say voting with their feet carrot mafia <laughs> I think that's the term for it in Denmark this if you go to your local neighborhood store not the big supermarket place. yeah now there is I, I do agree that there is a, there are a, a quite many good signs especially lately happening in uh, <clears throat> in Europe uh, specifically for example in Germany like uh, 
the amount of uh, of young people actually sort of standing for the values of of, uh, of green energy and you know global warming and all, all the other issues that we are facing uh, like it's growing and it, it's it's the it's the uh, generation that you know the ones that are in power are calling you know that they will be good for nothing and, and, and useless and, and all of that and they will it seems that they are coming around and it seems that they uh, see through the populism which is a super important sign that uh, you know uh, Viktor Orban and in, in Poland what is this guy uh, I, I think he just lost as well uh, this populist guy who was in charge and it's specifically when you talk with Polish young people which I hasn't haven't done too much but 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 uh, from time to time you can see that if someone will throw him out it will be the young people uh, and uh, and uh, and that is super important because populism I think is uh, I mean we we saw with uh, with Trump right that populism is uh, especially in combination with 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 social networks that's a super England deadly. England England is experiencing it every day <laughs> they are still brexiting as yes well, as far yes. as I understand yes. so yes um, so yeah there is a, there is a hope um, but uh, talking about um, uh, talking about about the differences so uh, you working in these uh, so one thing that I want to come back and uh, to, to sort of beginning of our discussion is that I was um, in, in, in Dubai there was this uh, guy who um, I I forgot his uh, name his surname was uh, I will remember Sultan and he was like Osama Sultan or something like that and he's the founder of one of the first telecoms in in Emirates and so a well, very wealthy guy and now he works in uh, in in I think Africa sort of um, uh, helping to build telecoms there and sort of to digitalize societies and all of that and he had this mind-blowing uh, presentation about digitalization and uh, how we have to uh, change uh, the way we uh, think about the world in general because we have gone from um, sort of if we look very far away in the in the in the history uh, then we were these small bands of people that grew bigger and then on top of that we organically grew these um, systems of governance of, of pyramids and uh, and uh, monarchies and then uh, and then uh, democracies and parliament and and whatever and then um, automation came uh, so the industrial revolution and so on and and already that was sort of in silos because you could automate um, one area of of industry, for example, I don't know, weaving, weaving or or steel making or whatever, and then uh, 
after that uh, came not digitalization, I want to say digitation, as in that that we made all of that digital, then we are now in the period where it where it's becoming smart. But the interesting thing is that it's still in silos. As in accounting is one thing, you know, still or, or in the same or, box with bureaucracy. Yeah. <laughs> right? And, and 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 so we are still sort of let's say cost pocket digitalizes one area of accounting but it doesn't sort of reach out into other areas and it's 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 very similar like you know with music with streaming or netflix with 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 video and uh if it continues like this i don't think it can continue like that at some point we need to sort of somehow start to integrate those silos from vertical to horizontal so that they actually create this sort of um, ecosystem where that actually also somehow works together better and integrates and, and creates, um, as he said, um, that we, we, we got data, then we got information, uh, then now we are getting knowledge but then we have to come to a point where we get wisdom. <laughs> that, that's how they say it. The, the future is here. It's not just evenly distributed. So, <laughs> so, so that is um, like one of the one of my favorite expressions is uh, standing in, on the shoulders of giants, and it means that that for us in our generation right now, the things we are doing um, they are just they were not possible five years ago or ten years ago, but but they have been becoming possible now either by somebody kind of like making it open source or, or something like that. Let's say it's like, like 10 years ago, if you were running a server, like, like, a, like a website, let's put it this way, then you also, you needed a sysadmin for the website who, who would be logging and monitoring and updating and upgrading and, and, and doing all of, all, all of these things. Right now you don't need it. It's just practically, you just put your up to the cloud and that's kind of like a blind box in this sense that like we are kind of old school IT people here we know that cloud is just somebody else's computer so yeah <laughs> so practically in this cloud there must be a sysadmin then who kind of you know does this updating and upgrading and monitoring but but for us it's like just to the possibility of doing things is it has increased a lot and like let's say even if you take the rules on how you create a product for a startup 10 years ago, then like it used to be, it used to be focus, focus, focus. You would just do the only thing that the app needs to do and you would not do anything else. You would, if you have this feeling that this needs to be perfect here or there, you would kind of suppress it and you would just do the one thing and, and start selling it. Nowadays, like if I look at product, product it's, it's possible to just kind of do one thing and that all of these features as they exist already you don't need to build anything like you need comments just that comments module and and and, and all, all these type of things so the the world is changing and the rules are changing maybe maybe that's the my answer to this philosophical text <laughs> yes but do you uh, like how do you see um like i mean for example uh one of the options, if we look at, I don't know, um, 
Uber, right? Let's take Uber. So it came from taxis that we... I forgot uh, the English word for... <laughs> hailing. Right hailing. <laughs> so we did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And either a dog or a taxi came. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, and then, uh, then we uh, started to call on the phone. Then we probably started to have apps. And then, uh, then Uber came. And then uh, they uh, changed the whole model, but it's still the drivers, and th- so they are sort of the cloud, uh, cloud of taxi almost there, right? Um, and then, obviously, for them from the very beginning, the end game has been to get uh, uh, get rid of the drivers, right? Uh, from the very first day, their their goal is to just have self-driving cars. Uh, driving around, uh, so basically robotize the whole thing. And then the question is, uh, again, a philosophical one, what are those drivers going to do? You so, know, uh, and, and, and so how, how can we, all this digitalization is not stoppable and it shouldn't be stoppable, but it should be somehow managed in order to not have you know many robots just doing all the stuff robotically with all the upsides and all the downsides of it um but somehow you know finding this uh, this way back that they're, they're basically it seems that we have only this one direction of pushing humans out uh, and replacing them with robots but there's there is very little of the opposite. Yeah, yeah, that is that is a true story. And this. you are doing the same. Yeah, yeah, yeah. right. It's, it's and and I'm doing the same. But this is also like when people when when like these first factories came, then it was also also a fear that it would take a lot of you know the old jobs away, or like when refrigerators came, then they totally killed the ice industry. And it's kind of it like so far so good. You humans have usually been in evolving into a place where they can they find something else or 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 something something smarter to do. Um, I have like for example, if you talk about Uber, like I have like positive samples that I have noted with Bolt. Uh, do you remember like ten fifteen years ago? It used to be that the worst drivers were taxi drivers. And at least it, it was a story in Estonia that if somebody is driving with this yellow cap, yeah. you can be sure that he's going to not be nice to you and he's going to cut the Maybe. line. It was, it, it was definitely like that with uh, these, uh, some, something in the middle, like these micro buses. Yes, which yes. Is not the bus and, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, 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 those are still the same, I think. Yes. <laughs> so, so that used to be the case. And now what Bolt has done is that it actually, we can see like that the drivers are super nice suddenly. Mm-hmm. And they... I'm going over the Zebra and I can see that they're already stopping. Mm-hmm. And I can see that's one of the changes I see. The other thing that when there is a, such a fleet on the street and also the scooters, they get really sensitive about car roads and also bicycle roads. So they have actually economical incentive to mm-hmm. fight to have a better better car roads and to, to have better bicycle roads. I still haven't solved this this dystopian problem that you <laughs> that you that you put towards us and, and, and here the hope is that we can kind of fight the humankind 
can come something, can find something what to do. And then like, let's say in 10 years, when it's the 12th wave of Corona, we, were, we are not just all at home exchanging cryptos with each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but uh, so, so you are working now currently in, in uh, like I, I've been working in multiple countries as well. But I think that uh, the difference is that uh, you are sort of working primarily with one um, position of people. So mostly, mostly accountants. Yes. So uh, what are the coming back to the differences between different countries and different cultures and, and how is it? So for example, I, I would guess that in Poland, for example, accountants are much more reluctant to uh, the automation of part of their work in comparison to uh, Latvia or Estonia, for example. For us, we have like a system coming. I met an interview with an accountant recently because this thing you asked is that like, like I am, you know, we're also taking away somebody's work with the digitization, right? So, so I interviewed the accountant and so how, how about it? And, and, and what she described to me was this, that previously they would have five accountants and two office assistant only digitizing data all of their days. And once they started to use Costpocket, then what happened is this, uh, this, this assistants kind of lost this data entry job. But what she could do is she was uh, making them accountants. So it means that there are actually like people are doing with also like this this dystopian future where everything is automated. It's still like, you know, it takes away all of this kind of meaningful, meaningless job, which doesn't, you know, offer a lot of satisfaction. And also there's a not, not a lot of value, value, value about it. So, so, so this, this I wanted to cover. But if I look at these differences in accountants, so I have just a few stories about it. Is that one of the things is that um, I think it's the same for like one thing I learned about I started Finland. How I started to understand that the culture in Finland is something totally else than I thought. And I was talking with this Finnish guy and he said that, you know, in Estonia and quite possibly also in Latvia, it is when, you know, two guys are talking then when some of them explains to the other like a, like a good, good topic or something that, that people could talk about is uh, how, how, how he cheated on the government. That, that I got this really good trick or how I didn't pay PBN or yeah. like VAT. Like so. so this is something that people in Estonia and Latvia might talk about in, in the sauna. And like a good sign about it is that like the... Uh, VIT, the Latvian tax authorities are really, really cracking down on all VAT-related crimes and then that's because of that that we have this tradition of talking about this stuff. So if you would go to Finland and talk with a Finnish man about it, that you have, you know, a good way on how to cheat the government, this Finnish person would never talk to you again and he would tell to all of his friends not to talk with you oh, again. This is a shady guy. Yes, yes. Mm -hmm. uh, in society, in Nordic countries, it's not you. You cannot have any corrupt thinking. If you are, if you have, you are a corrupt person. So that was that's a big, big change in like uh, like in to just go hundred kilometers over the coast. You're in Finland, and you can actually see that this 
this is a very big change in like society how, how people think is that then if you go to the Nordic countries you cannot be corrupt that's uh, that's one of the differences and with with Poland I, I guess like one of the interesting and, and I guess sorry I will interrupt I guess the the big difference for uh, let's say a company that goes from this market to that market is that you shouldn't also say that you are not corrupt because it's sort of self-understandable. Yes. <laughs> because because in, in Latvia there are actually companies who are being proud that they, you know, paying all the all the taxes and so on and that's sort of their marketing message sometimes in these yes. countries. And there you shouldn't mention that because it's sort of self-understandable. So yeah. <laughs> Yes. So, and uh, another story, I think it's for Poland, and this is an interesting thing. Uh, when we went to Poland, we were assuming that the accountant service will be cheaper than Estonia, mm-hmm. because everything is cheaper in Poland, at least like it's uh, the, the salaries are slower, lower and also the prices are lower. And when we got to Poland, we found out that this was not the case. And the reason why this is not the case is that the Polish accounting laws are more complex, mm. meaning that you will have more ways of registering a legal body uh, and they would have like some special, more special rules around it than, than we have, for example, in Estonia. And it really got me thinking about this, this little thing is that you can have two things. So like it's, these are the two sides of it. One of them is that you have a really simple system, like a robust, robust system that we have in Estonia. Like in Estonia, we have practically the only way, form of company you would register is like a SIA in Latvian. It's just one OU form of things. Mm-hmm. You don't have like this uh, micro entrepreneurs, you don't have this creative entities and like, like a bunch of these other things that make, make things more complex. So you can have a robust, robust system, but in this robust system, the accountants would generally earn less money because their service is actually easier. Mm-hmm. And on the other side of it, you can have the Polish system where there's a lot of rules. It's very complex and this means there's a lot of job security for accountants in the sense that these people really, really need this help. But it's also, and, and they earn more, but it's uh, the wor- work is more complex, but they earn less. That's the, they earn more. That's the, that's the kind of like the logic about it. I, I heard in Poland there is a way to register a company, also the way we do it in Estonia. They have like a special form of company, which is kind of like this Estonian, it's called the Estonian thing. And uh, I also found, I didn't found any accountant who was ready to actually take it on. But uh, how, how is it the Estonian thing? Like, is it, uh, I mean, it's a limited liability company. Yes. And so you are saying that limited liability company is not the fault no, no, it is the fault, it is the fault, but there's like a, I cannot remember what the specific things were about this Estonia. Oh, okay, there is no uh, corporate tax. Uh-huh. That's, okay. that's one of the things we were, yeah, we were introduced by corporate. For us, since we come from Estonia, we didn't have corporate tax. We had <laughs> to find out how it works. Okay. Uh, but uh, in terms of uh, perception, like from human side of things, um, how, uh, what are the... Because you are selling the same product, the same benefits to the same people in different countries. So how, how is their perception of, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I mean, making the, the question uh, more simple. Um, 
in which country it is easier to sell your product? <laughs> That's a good one. So first one in Poland is that I have seen two people, one of them being an accountant, they just look our app like a miracle. They're like, what? <laughs> that's amazing. So we would, like that's that's one of the arguments. And the other thing is where it's easier to sell, obviously, Finland. It's in because in Finland, um, like a, we already had a competitor, and also like a, services like ours are normal, you know, <laughs> future society. Let's let's put it this way. So when we go to Finland, then we don't have to explain what we do or who we are. We, we just start to talk what the price will be or what, what we're going to be doing. And the other thing we did in Finland... But is, is it because there's also other products yes. like that? Yes. Okay, so they yes. are just accustomed to the idea already. Yes, mm. so we don't, like otherwise in, in Poland we start from very beginning of what we do and, and how we do it. And the other, other reason obviously why Finland is better is we have this service which costs 40 cents for one digitization of document. And, uh, you know, it's doing pretty okay with this, this pricing. And then we went to Finland and we realized that we need to change the price because people didn't realize it's the same product we are offering as our competitors were. Mm-hmm. So competitors were offering it for 150, 160, 140. So we changed the price from 40 cents to one euro just in Finland. So you increase the price. We increase the prices. <laughs> so yes, I mean it's it's been the same issue with uh, with for example with Flex BI is that for a while we couldn't understand why we can't get and we still haven't uh, gotten any traction in 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 uh, Nordic countries and until one partner told us that God, you are too cheap like this is not serious. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and we are still sort of uh, thinking about it, like uh, because uh, actually maintaining different uh, different prices in different regions is also tricky. Maybe less for you because it's sort of more a localized product. I mean, it's more heavily localized. It's depending on the language and and, and laws and whatever. And then with business intelligence, that's not localized at all. And so it's very different. It's very difficult to then, like, like how did you go about it? Because I mean, we are thinking like, so what are we gonna do? We will have finished translated page, and that will have different prices. So what if they switch to English and they see that there's a price difference? So okay. So what are we going to do it by IP address and show different prices? So I think how that to approach a, that? That is, a, that is a very this question is very deep to my heart. I, I know all of this, this these things that can happen with it. And like we also like this is very familiar. But practically, eventually, what we did is we just changed the pricing in the page that was in Finnish. And that's it. Pasta. Yes, that's it. But do they know that they can uh, switch so. to English? So. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They, they could switch to English, but for example, in our case, it's practically what we say is that this is dependent on the legalization you're in. So anyway, if you register a company to Finland, then it goes according to the Finnish rules. Let's say, especially if we talk about Finland, then in Finland, this is very normal not to even have a website in English. Your website is just in Finnish. So in, in in this sense, but but practically, yeah. So there is there is a possibility that somebody can change the pricing to English and see that the English pricing is different. But for us, we just say that this price is locked to the Finnish legalization. So if you do it in Finnish, 
Finnish market and these are the Finnish prices and there haven't been any problems with it really. But I know the fear... Which, which other the, countries you have different, but so Sweden you will probably have similar At the moment issue, only, right? only Finland has a different price. We're going to also have different price for Poland. Uh, like for example doing business in more Poland, expensive or cheaper 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 uh, mm-hmm. like, <laughs> like probably Lithuania and Poland have to be cheaper yeah well we don't know about Lithuania and yet it's but but our actually funny story like one of the biggest problems with Polish that we have actually like generally the big problem behind it is that Polish don't trust anyone that just has to be a Polish person but we, we do still have like like customers in Poland but After working with them for a while, one of them actually wrote to us that, hey guys, could you please send me invoices in Polish slotis? <laughs> Because we didn't even realize it, that yeah, they have their own money, they don't have euros. And so every time they were paying our bill, they have to go actually make this currency mm. conversion by themselves. Mm. So for us, that was like the <laughs> most interesting thing to find out that, whoops, <laughs> yes, really, they don't even have a euro, euros. And if you think that getting a slotty account is an easy feast, it's not. It's uh, first we went to our bank. We said, can we get a slotty account? And they said like, yes, yes, no problem. We can get a slotty account. Every time you receive money to this account, it will cost five euros. <laughs> like damn our service costs five euros so it, it really yes. makes sense so actually that's where now we are going to Poland and back and registering a bank account in Poland and that's can't, can't you have an account in uh, WISE yes that's what we also tried next we asked WISE hey guys could we have an account with you and they said that yeah Polish accounts we cannot do at the moment and we asked mm. when can we and they said they don't know we were like come on come on but, but this is the things you get like uh, Revolut is the next step but we were at this point we were so demotivated and we were like yeah if it and we we're like kind of really hoping to get this Polish bank account that's mm. uh, yeah that's that's yeah. the adventures in Poland Yeah, so we 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 have uh, we we are still then behind you because we are still keeping. I think the only the only country where we have different prices is is Australia because their euros just don't go through. Like it just doesn't work. Okay. Uh, same as in like uh, yeah, South America for example. Uh, but everywhere else, euros is uh, even in Africa, euros are fine. I mean, it's not perfect. Uh, they would prefer to pay in uh, rands, uh, but uh, but it's fine. They understand. And same goes with Norway, because, you know, for them it's probably the second uh, currency anyway. But yeah, for, 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 for me, yeah, Australia is the only one where we couldn't work around it. So we had had to come up with a different price list and, uh, and uh, also uh, accept uh, payments in Australian dollars, yeah. Um, but yeah. Hmm. So anyway, yeah. So if you would go to Australia, you would also have to have a different price. What would you do then? We don't know yet. <laughs> so, so, so one of the things that helps is to not worry about possible possible future problems when there are existing, existing I'm just, problems. <laughs> I'm just I'm just fishing for ideas. So okay, so I'll 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 consider making a Finnish page with different pricing. Then that sounds simple enough if it works. Um, but uh, you mentioned a couple of times or, or already the word uh, digitization, digitization, digitization is it? Or digitalization? You can use no. Them. 
but in my opinion, so it's interesting to to to, to hear your um, uh, take on it because, in my opinion, those are very different words. It, because uh, because uh, digitization is basically what you are doing. Uh, so you know. Applying OCR basically to mm -hmm. uh, paper and making it digital, but digital digitalization is actually doing something about it. So uh, adding value to it. Uh, in in your case, probably sending to an accounting software is already then some sort of digitalization. Uh, but then, uh, where I feel the, the the sort of important differences, I liked how. Uh, my competitor here in Latvia uh, from Horizon, they, they, they compared that uh, digitization is the fact that, uh, let's say, in a bus stop, uh, you would have the timetable on the screen. So that would be digitization. <laughs> now, digitalization would be the the, uh, the, 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 the the bus stop sign that shows that the next bus is in five minutes and yeah. it will take you there and you then the next bus is uh, two minutes later so it adds value um, uh, using the, the possibilities that digital uh, data gives mm -hmm. and so uh, that's sort of somehow coming back to uh, to my very sort of initial question is you have this um, stream of digital data going through your system uh, I mean it begs the question what to do with it how to utilize it like same with the example of digital invoices and then gathering that data and then using that so that's digitalization uh, so, I mean, what are you doing with that data already now? And, and do you have any sort of interesting ideas about it as well? So for us, it's, it's all pretty, let's put it, we have worked through the data and we have made the decisions and they are all written in our terms and conditions. In, in this sense that we are actually not doing anything with the data. We consider it your data and we're like mm. making making it sure that we cannot even access it or when we access it, there is a... But maybe for my no benefit, not, not to uh, aggregate it and, and to sell it to someone, not in that sense, but to add value for me as your customer. Yeah. Uh, Practically yes and no. For us, it's like the reason why we know it for sure is that people have asked us before, like people who need to kind of who want to analyze this data coming from these documents or all of this. We have been asked and we have always said no. It's practically it's just just not what we do, and and we know that this is like that what people are trusting in us are business secrets. It's like a it's business secret what exact yeast are you buying for your cider if you're a cider producer. So we don't. We work hard not to ever even touch it if, if possible. Uh, there could be, could be things around it and I am, it's just, uh, they are a bit uh, interesting in like this, this model I described on how you could kind of go over a private person data and figure out what the 
average prices of things are but for us it's practically it's just a matter of focus we are at the moment we really want to help accounting agencies we want to help accountants to become digital and this already takes all of all of our kind of time for it obviously if you if you have ideas on how we could show you something based on your data we would gladly do it we, we are being kicked by business mentor to always have additional services on it but our kind of business really is i really liked it some customer described it in radio once that he was just explaining apps that he's using and then he explained our app and he said that his biggest fear was that he has to learn another app he hates learning another another new thing and then he took our app he made this picture of a receipt and then it was all done and he was like ah, that's it and so this is actually how most of the people they use our app they just get the document submit the document and it's it's all done they don't really want anything more and the accountants are happy because the documents do not come all together just before the 20th date before the VAT declaration but the documents kind of start coming in every day and they in the in the end of the month they already have almost the declaration together or they they know what documents are missing so so in in, in this sense that we are still mainly focused on, on solving solving this this problem and this already takes all of our days and weeks mm. And I guess uh, I guess there's uh, there there is actually digitalization happening underneath. Like you are actually um, analyzing this context, as you said, and 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 I, I understand that you will uh, try to also learn like what the expense account should be applied for uh, for an invoice and so on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is two. There is actually two processes. One of like they're both both uh, this, this modern thing, AI or artificial intelligence or machine learning, is that when we were programming this text recognition system, then at one point we reached this. I think it was around 70-75 percent accuracy, and no new line of code would make it better. It would just be sticked stuck there we couldn't make the average better and then what we did is we created this system where uh, the documents were that were digitized by humans then then when the humans were digitizing it this the human input and the initial robot input of what what he figured were compared to each other and if the robot was finding wrong it created a rule that this is not how you find it and instead it created the rule that this is where the sum is so 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 this is how we actually got to 90% accuracy and this this has been this has really really worked strongly and the other thing is we are doing we're using the same ai mechanism to also start guessing the account numbers of of the costs so just a really easy sample is that if you every month you submit a invoice from see a rent and it's 1000 euros and it always goes to rent it always goes to the rent account then our system will learn that the next time this document come put it to the rent account mm. that's a really easy sample our like this ai can also take into consideration like when it was submitted uh, like uh, and, and a bunch of other things which are even difficult to describe as a human mm. but it's kind of uh, this is this is another this is actually this is one of the things we are doing. Um, we are actually doing at the request of Hansa. They said that we, we should really do it. And 
And there is, it is interesting, there is a company in Finland who, who does only that. That's, that's their whole startup. So, so I guess it's, for us, it's like, yeah, we're, saying, yeah, we're adding this little feature, but for another person, it could be a multiple years of work. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's like uh, for, uh, for Fitech, there's a separate product, uh, uh, Fitech In, where they allow humans to add uh, add uh, account numbers and objects and dimensions and whatever to lines of of of, of invoice uh, and that uh, adds a lot of value and they actually uh, chose i think uh, one of my customers chose fitech in uh, over cost pocket for that uh, for that reason that they can actually allow the end user to um intervene and say that you know this is not just uh, um, an expense but this is an expense for this specific uh, project this this line of, of invoice and uh, this uh, this line of, of receipt and so yeah. on yeah I guess I guess there's a, what's the difference between cost pocket and then Vitek with the new name unified post is that that they are mainly focused on enterprise customers mm. they work if you are a big organization if you if it requires that first the pre-sales guy comes then the sale guy comes then the implementation guy comes if if this is your thing then then cost pocket might not be the best mm. best solution for that uh, for us is we are kind of what you call a long tail company we work with a number of like a like a smaller companies and so so for us it's uh, it's really like our service is meant to be like that, that you go online, you register, and then it starts working. Mm-hmm. You don't never meet anybody from our side. So, so that's, that's, that's the difference that like, yeah, we are just practically, we're like a self-service product for the mass market. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I really like that you exactly know who you are and, and, and what you are not. Yeah. Yes, we like we don't really like to work with. It's exactly like they like the, they they know their market and we know the, our market and it's. Mm. Yeah. Um, and uh, coming back to 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 make a circle composition, you know that's uh, that's the best composition there is. When I when I had this idea to invite you to this podcast is when you told that story about, and now I might be mistaken, but I think. Was it your mother or father who, who got uh, in the nineties, who started to use Hansa financials? Was it? That was that was actually it was my yeah yeah it was in ninety seven or ninety eight I think this happened. I was visiting my oma, my grandmother. A grandmother. Yeah yeah, yeah 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 yeah. In this countryside place, and we were there in in Avinurme, and I was a uh, you know a little bit younger, and there was this older guys. I was fourteen at that time. Those older guys were talking among each other or something, and it was really like um, I could see that they're talking serious stuff. And I, as a little kid, I wanted to go like, "Hey guys, what do you what do you talk about it?" And they're like, "Just you know." Go away! It's like this is you know serious talk here. Let's, let's, no, no, guys, tell me what you do. What you talking about? Well, we're talking about accounting. We're like, oh, wow, what accounting? So what are you talking about? It's like we are talking about Hansa. <laughs> <laughs> and so this is I remember the name stuck with me. That's the very first accounting software I ever heard in 1997. And and I think it was because Estonia was the third ever, like the second or third ever country for Hansa or <laughs> something it like could that. Could be yeah, probably probably Sweden, Finland, and uh, and then Estonia after that. Yeah. 
Uh, and, and still, you are not using it yourself now for accounting. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, I mean, my point was that I, I, I really liked that story and I saw the, the storyteller uh, in you. And so for the end, traditionally, um, uh, I, could you share a story about like the biggest fuck up uh, that you care to share publicly? Um, so, or in, in, in Latvian, Kādu putrtoi sievārīs. So, I would even like, there's a bunch of stories that could be relevant, but I know one which is pretty relevant to our conversations. I'm going to use that. I'm going to have a little intro to that, is that I have had this feeling among myself that, you know, we have done so many integrations with this company and we have tried to work with so many little, little companies throughout the years and sometimes I wish I could go back in time and tell myself, you know, just do this one thing. Just do this, everything else is not important. Because now we know what the mm. things are, but then we didn't, so we tried everything. And I have this story actually that happened with you when we met for the very first time. Then you told me that for the sake of, this is kind of like a business secret, I cannot say what it is exactly. But then Elvis told me that Martin, do this. And I said, no. And, and this is how it stayed. And now, years later, um, I, we finally trying out everything else. I, we, as a company, we came to the realization that we have to do what Elvis said. And we started to do it. <laughs> <laughs> I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't realize that. Yeah, okay. Because you told me that uh, two hours ago. And, but I didn't realize that it's a positive thing. <laughs> it's a positive thing. Yeah, it's actually now. And it, it came through us, through our Finland business, actually. We, we, we realized there that there is only one way how we can do it. And that's exactly how Elvis said we should do it. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Okay. Okay. Uh, and yeah, well, I guess then the uh, the porridge the porridge sort of in this story is that you didn't uh, didn't uh, do it in 2018, right? Yes. Yes. But probably you did it uh, when you actually needed to do it. Otherwise, yeah. Well, but it's good. It's it's good. It's good that I'm I'm, I'm on a uh, what is it folklore of ghost pocket? I guess yes, that's yes. Uh, that's very a, a proud moment for me. <laughs> Uh, all right. Well, uh, thank you for uh, almost two hours uh, of your time. Thank you. And uh, I hope that you, I don't know, maybe some aspiring uh, startup entrepreneur will uh, will learn one or two things from this discussion. But uh, yeah, most of all, I, I hope that it's uh, interesting uh, for someone who hasn't worked with Polish, Polish <laughs> people, for example, and that uh, helps them to uh, to do that. So yeah, thanks. Thank you. <laughs>